So then I'm on my knees and uh, I scream for my brother just as loud as I could. I was like, you know, why are they not here? I like had a moment of awareness where her claws inside of my mouth, like this, it seems huge, like somebody's finger, like getting fish hooked. And it hooked me like where your teeth meet your gums. If you push your tongue there, there's like a hollow spot underneath that bone, you know? And it like hooked me there. And that's when she pulled my head around and bit me on the face. I'm Rebecca Huntington. You're listening to The Fine Line, real stories of adventure, risk, and rescue in the backcountry of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero with support from the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole. Backcountry Zero is a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation. You can support this project and the volunteers at Teton County Search and Rescue by making an online donation today. Go to tetoncountysar.org donate. You're listening to part two of a three-part series as we tell the story of James Moore and his hunting party. The fine line follows Moore through the hunt, the attack, and the aftermath that all unfolded on September 25, 2017. In part one, we hear how Moore, his brother Jake Peasley, and their good friend Brent Bongers strike out on a wilderness hunt. I'm James Moore. I was the one that was attacked by the bears, and I currently live in Rock Springs, Wyoming. I'm Jake Peasley, James Moore's little brother, and uh, I was with him during the incident. Yeah, uh, just a super good friend of mine. His name is Brent Bongers. He was uh, a longtime resident there in Pinedale. He lives in Denver now, and so great individual, excellent hunter, super smart guy. One snowstorm after another had already tested the hunter's patience as they pursued elk through the timbered slopes, open glades, and ghostly burns. Bordering Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks, the Teton wilderness is wild, remote, and full of grizzlies. As hunters, Moore and his party knew the risks of hunting in such a wild place. And Moore is the first to point out mistakes that he made along the way. Frustrated by the hunt, he left his brother and friend to head back to camp. As he reached the bottom of a creek, he heard a rustling sound. Seeing a sow grizzly, he suddenly found himself alone and completely exposed. He had no bear spray, and the closest tree was a sapling too small to climb. Grabbing his arm with her teeth, the bear lifted him like a toddler and tossed him back to the ground. He curled up to protect himself, but she didn't stop. There was a moment of clarity, and it was like, oh, you're supposed to hold your breath and not make any sound at all. So I stopped screaming, and I remember holding my breath and just curling up as tight as I could. And uh, not sure for how long. I mean, you can't hold your breath for that long. And she stopped, and she was gone. So um, what they teach you about just curling up and playing dead obviously works, or at least it worked that time. And I'm in a pretty deep snow, and there's a lot of blood at this point. And uh, she's gone, and I'm like, holy smokes. And I just laid there for a second, and I didn't hear anything, and I didn't I didn't see anything. But I was having trouble seeing because there's so much blood, you know. It's like looking in water, like when you try to open your eyes in the pool or something. And uh, I tried to get up, but I couldn't get up. 
Uh, I couldn't use my left arm at all. And uh, I don't know if I was tired or something. You know, maybe I was just exhausted at this point, but I couldn't get to my feet. I could get up to my knees. <clears throat> and uh, I thought, jeez, what the heck? And it's like, oh, they can't hear you. You're too far away. So I just scream as loud as I can for my brother. And uh, from my left, I hear the bear. I look. At this point, she's about 60 yards away. And and uh, I don't know if she was crouched down, but in my mind, it seems like she was crouched because all I could see, all I remember seeing is just like the front of her body, you know, her big chest and her head. And, and uh, I was like, oh, <laughs> Knowing what I know now and what the biologist had told us, at this point, I'm between her and her cubs. But I never seen the cubs, but I didn't know it. But um, as this, I'll tell you what the biologist said. You know, she had followed us for a ways, and when she maybe she thought she was in danger, maybe she was just trailing us, but she sat her two cubs down, which are full-grown cub, cubs, mind you. They're not little cubs. They're full-grown cubs. Uh, she sat them down, and then she attacked me. Well she would have had to set them off to my right-hand side, and now she's on my left-hand side. And I yelled for my brother, which was probably a mistake, but how do you, you don't know something like that, right? <clears throat> Here she comes, and I don't have, I don't know, I don't know how long it took, but it wasn't enough time to do anything, and she just waylaid me face on. And uh, it's like being hit by a car, literally, like, just like, and back down in the snow I am. But now I'm on my back. Um, I remember at that point, I, I don't really remember where she was positioned on me. I just remember that I was getting bit. And I was just like, at this point, I'm not trying to play dead. I'm not doing anything. I'm screaming. Like, I'm just, like, screaming for my brother. Like, and I remember screaming so loud that it was hurting my throat. To scream so loud because I was just like they can't hear you man like you got louder 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 I'm in a I don't want to say full-blown panic but I'm like that's the only that's the only chance like they gotta hear me somehow they gotta hear me well of course they could hear me and, and they were already on their way there and uh that was the last thing I really remember is that she just bit me on the face she, her claw was in my mouth she kind of turned my head up and I just remember like snap bite me on the face and uh and then she was gone just she took off and so what we know now my my brother's part of the story is that him and brent were coming as fast as they could come you can only go so fast in two feet of snow or two and a half feet of snow like you're not moving fast no matter how good a shape you're in and they got there as fast as they could and uh they were up on the hillside and i never heard uh the gunshot but my brother fired a warning shot in the air he couldn't see where we were he couldn't see the bear he just thought what can i do so he just shot in the air and uh we believe that's when the bear left left me well they seen the bear and i'll let him tell you about that and so i don't know a few a few seconds or a few minutes went by and i remember looking up and they were walking off the hillside and i can remember hearing my brother hollering for me but i was I was too chicken to say anything after what had happened, so I just laid there real quiet until they got real close. And then that was, like, the first time I communicated with my brother. But I could see him coming off the hillside and then where they had to jump over the creek. I couldn't see where they jumped over the creek. 
but I could see them coming off that open hillside probably the same way she had watched me come off that open hillside. We never heard James holler for us while he was being attacked for the first time. I think it was it was definitely in between the two attacks when I heard him holler for me, and uh, I knew instantly that that there was bear. I I didn't know if he was being attacked by a bear or if he was screaming to let us know that there's like a bear coming our way. Uh, but I knew it wasn't good. And, uh, so I start, <clears throat> I start running down the mountain toward where I heard him holler for me and everything's just, everything's going so fast. I don't really know exactly what's going on. And, and, uh, I, I start hollering back so I could pinpoint him and, and then I never, and then I never heard him holler for me again. And it felt like we were going slow motion with the, the terrain we were in. It just the, the snow was so deep, and and it was up and down, and just bad circumstances. And I felt like we were getting nowhere, and 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 I was almost 100% sure what was going on. So for some reason, I just fired a shot in the air, and it wasn't moments after that. Uh, we saw the two cubs, which were definitely full-grown cubs, probably 400-some-pound cubs, and uh, and then and then the mama, great big old grizzly, and uh, they came running up right up the middle, not too far from us. I actually thought that because he wasn't hollering anymore, I thought for sure he was dead. We just got to him as fast as we could. One of those bad dreams that you have that you can't, you're trying to run fast, but you're not even moving. Is exactly what it's like. At this point, we're winging it, uh, just running straight to where we could last hear him holler for us. We actually didn't get a visual on him until we were right there close to him. And then first thing you saw was just blood everywhere, all over the snow. It magnifies everything anyway. So that was the first thing we noticed. And it did take us quite a while to get to him. I was having a little bit of trouble seeing. I was pretty exhausted at this point. And uh, I knew I couldn't get up all the way. I could just get to, like, my rump, and I was kind of backed up against that little sapling or something. Maybe maybe she had moved me closer to another tree. I just remember being kind of backed up to a tree as my head slumped over. And as he was getting close, I was like, hey, I'm over here. I think I said, you better get over here. I think I'm dying. And uh, I don't know that I really thought I was dying, but I'd never really felt like that before. Like, there's just like nothingness. That's what it felt like. Nothingness. Like, no pain. No, it's just like nothing. I don't know how to describe it. So maybe somebody who's been in a similar type situation would understand what I'm saying when I say that, but it's just like nothingness. So it was unusual. And so that's what I said to him. I'm sure it scared him. And uh, I wish I wouldn't have said it, but I did. The first thing that went to my mind when I, when I did get to him was if he was alive or not. And he was kind of kind of hung over, and you could just see the blood just draining right out of his head into the snow, and, and uh, I didn't think he was alive. So I ran to him, and, and I got a hold of him, and he lifted his head up, and, and that's when you could see his... She got his face really bad. Brett, Brett said that he was going to run back up to his to his pack and 
and get some packs and everything to put on it that were inside of his pack and uh, get to his spot, uh, his search and rescue spot. And uh, so I stayed there with my brother talk, trying to talk to him, and it took him a while to, to talk, and you couldn't even see his eyes because of the blood. And I wasn't, I just wasn't sure. I wasn't even sure how long he was going to stay alive, if he was going to be alive until Brett got back to him. And uh, and he wasn't talking, and he was just kind of, his body was just kind of kind of lifeless, like she took it all out of him. My name's Lizzie Watson. I'm a search and rescue volunteer. I've been there, I think, almost five years, and I work for Jacksonville Fire EMS as a firefighter paramedic. So my role in the team is medical. It's also other tasks. We have two ER docs, um, a nurse, and a couple paramedics, like three paramedics, like myself. I think it was me, Casey Bess, who's an EMT, and Jess King, who's our SAR supervisor. And the three of us went in the ship with the pilot, so we had to go up to the Forest Service office at the uh, airport. And we had to grab gear. I got all the drugs I had in my pocket and some stuff to take vitals. I had the ALS kit which is um, IV supplies, um, bandaging. We also have a BLS kit with oxygen. So usually we have no idea what what's going on. We know, you know, possible bear attack, but we don't know any of the injuries. So we have no idea what we're going to have to deal with when we get there. Um, so we just bring it all. Brett ends up making it back with his pack and he had some clot packs and in his pack and we started putting them on his head and and then he started talking to us and and uh, asking us how bad his face was and uh so it was, a, it was a good sign uh one thing we did start noticing was like in his his pants were soaked with blood also and we we're trying to get his pants opened up to see how bad make sure she didn't get into any arteries or anything and at that point he just looked at us and said all right we got to get to the horses. Me and Brent were like, oh, like, we, like I don't think we can pack you through this. And uh, he had already hit his spot, and he got the signal back that they had, that the signal went through. So he was trying to explain to us that search and rescue would have a bird in the air. Brent really took charge. You know, my brother, obviously it's a traumatic situation for my brother, so he's just sitting there trying to console me. And... Brent just kicked in. He's like, hey, man, I got to go back. I got to get my pack. I was like, you know, heck with your pack. We got to get out of here. And he's like, no, I, I got stuff that will help you. Like, I got to get to that pack. And, uh, I mean, imagine being in Brent's shoes. Uh, his good friend just gets attacked by a bear. He just comes over. They just seen this sow and these two cubs. And now he has to walk back by himself to get that pack. Like, bummer. But he did it, like, not reluctantly. Like, he just manned up and did it. So he goes and gets his pack, comes back down, uh, you know, patches my head up best he can, and uh, gives, this, this guy gives me all of his spare clothes to ride out in the freezing cold, literally. Like, all of his down clothes, he takes my clothes off me, wraps me up in some down clothes, puts a down stocking cap on my head, cinches it down real tight after he puts some blood caught on her, and he's like, all right. And so he hit the spot, and I was like, all right. I was like, we got to go, man. He's like, we ain't going nowhere. I was like, we got to go. And he's like, no. <laughs> I 
this is how I remember it. I mean, everybody probably has a different version of how it happened, you know, but this is the way I remember it. And I was like, I'm okay. And like, I'm okay. We're good. I'm okay. And what I really needed it, honestly, it might sound a little cold hearted or whatever, but I really needed it. He just looks me dead in the face and he says, you're not all right, man. You're going to be all right, but you're not all right, man. And I was like, okay, let's get out of here. And I got to my feet and we just started walking. So then James just pretty much second wind or act of God, whatever it was, but he got to his feet and he wasn't even waiting for us at that point. He starts heading for the horses. It took everything we could to keep up with him. Um, I was kind of walking backward as much as I could, just make sure she didn't come back on us. And Brent was trying to keep up with him. And then the only time we did keep up with him was when he had stopped to tell us something and, and then back on his feet, he went and, uh, that went on for quite a while. It took us quite a while to cover a mile and a half and that kind of that kind of snow. But we made it back to the horses and got some water in him, got some hand warmers put in his put in his pockets and got him up on a horse. He wouldn't even take any like ibuprofen or anything, because uh, for whatever reason. But he just wanted wanted a shot of water and, and on his way. So. I led for a large portion of the way, and and they were right behind me, you know, probably watching for that bear. Like, it's not realistic that she probably was going to come attack us, but you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen, you know. So I didn't think this was going to happen. I think it was about a mile, mile and a half, you know, something like that, back to the horses. And uh, they were were where they were where we tied them up. I remember I tried to get up on the horse, and I cououldn't do it. I couldn't use my left arm still, and uh, I didn't. I could walk okay. Like, I wasn't having any trouble walking, but I didn't have any strength in my left leg, hip area. You know, I, I, wouldn't, I wasn't able to put it in the stirrup, push off. And so um, they lifted me up on my horse, and, and uh, we started to go out. And it wasn't very far. That, that horse wasn't, you know, it wasn't like some cutting horse. They, like had to get the old plow reins going, and I just couldn't do it. So that's when my brother hooked that lead rope to his horse, and then, Brent was right behind me, and we just started riding out. We got him up on his horse and got his reins tucked up underneath his his coat to where he could hold on to him through his pockets, and uh, ran a ran a suicide line, and off we went. Pretty much a lead line, but if one horse goes down a cliff, they're both going down. It was a long ride out of there. Never during the ride did I feel really any pain or anything like that. So I don't know how long it was from the time the call went in till the, you know, I first seen that helicopter circling over top of us. I'm Betsy Moore. I'm James's wife. Brent's girlfriend had texted me every day and told me that she got the text that they were fine because the spot will either send a, hey, we're fine text or we just sent out an SOS text. So every day, every night, usually, she would call me and tell me, I got the we're fine text. They're okay. Like, okay, thanks. And that day, it was like, I want to say like 10 o'clock in the morning. And she called and she was bawling. And she said, they sent out an SOS. And right, I knew what happened right then. I knew exactly what happened. I knew it happened to James. It just was like, I just knew. And it wasn't long after that that Search and Rescue called me and just said, yeah, we got an SOS. We are getting ready to go out. We're having trouble 
keeping up with them because, you know, they Brent set out sent out the ping at the attack and then they get on their horses and ride as fast as they can. So they're trying to follow this spot device. You know, uh, Brent talked me through it. My brother talked me through it. And, and uh, I remember I gave him the code to my pickup, you know, the door code to get in and out. And so all the way down now, he's like, hey, dude, what's your door code? He's like, all right, doing good. He's like, sit up a little straighter, man, you know, and, you know, stay awake, stay, 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 stay with us here, you know. And, and so I don't know. I mean, it was, you know, people are like, oh, dude, you're tough. Walked out of there and jumped on a horse and started riding out, but really I wasn't that tough. I mean, they did the they did the work. I just walked to the horse and then they did it from there. So, and we marked where the last place we had cell service was when we left the trailhead headed in the day we headed in. It's a smart thing to know, you know. So I just really wanted to get to that point and call my wife. And I can remember that for me that was the urgency. You know, those guys, the urgency was getting me off the mountain, getting me to search and rescue, getting me to a hospital. Uh, for me, the urgency was just, I, I was like, no matter what, I just want to talk to my wife. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. So, I mean, I didn't, you know, other than the one time I said that, I didn't really feel like I was going to die or anything. But, I mean, they wouldn't show me what I looked like either. So they wouldn't. We took some pictures on the mountain. Uh, they didn't show them to me, though, just so I had them later on. So I remember what it was like and we went through them where I started at to where I ended up. Uh, but it, Brent wouldn't show me. My brother didn't show me. And uh, all I wanted to do was just get to that last knob where we had cell phone service, call my wife, be like, hey. And she can tell you what I said to her then. It was probably two hours. It was probably noon by the time I heard from him. And I was already on my way to Jackson is where they had told me to go and uh, luckily, everything's in the same direction. But uh, so I was in and out of service, and I guess they had been trying to call me for a while because when they finally got through, I, Jake was like, Betsy, like, oh my God, answer your phone. <laughs> no, that was, it was just then like a couple of seconds. We only had a couple of seconds on that knob to make phone calls. Oh, good. Well, I just drove through a tiny bit of cell service because. I pulled over when they called, and I was not all there. So I was like, wait, got to go, got to go, and <laughs> pulled right back out and lost him. And that's when Brent called. Uh, I believe he just dialed 911, but he could have called the county sheriff's department. And, uh, and I so called So did you ta- guys actually talk in that brief moment? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought that he said he wasn't doing well, but I guess that's not what he was saying. But uh, – I he just said I was attacked by a bear and I thought he said I'm not doing well grab the kids and head to Jackson and but you couldn't really understand him because she'd bitten his face and I was imagining all kinds of wounds and I guess he said I'm not doing too good but I'm not doing too bad either but I didn't hear that the board page was at 1044 the team page, so we do a board page, meaning they discuss how they're going to approach it and um, what resources they need, and then they page the team to respond to the hangar at 10.52, located the U at 1249. So two hours. Yep, and then we transferred to the medic at 110. Yeah, it seems like that helicopter was on us in no time at all. Like I just remember it flying. You remember we waved my hand in the air? I was like, me, I'm the guy right here. 
<laughs> no need to look for anybody else. <laughs> yeah, we were flying in having to, like you said, we didn't know exactly where. We had an idea of the coordinates, so we're all looking out of the ship and trying to, to look for you guys. I think we flew past, you know, closer to where you had come from first, up kind of a canyon. Yeah, you guys probably went up Whetstone. We were already down on the Pacific Creek mm-hmm. by the time you guys landed. Then we had to turn around and come back down and... I couldn't believe you guys landed in the river. Yeah. I was like, are they landing right there? Jake's like, yep. Nobody even had to say anything to me. I just jumped off the horse, started heading down the hill. Like, I'm done. I've had enough. She was telling you, we'll come to you. And you were like, nope, yeah. I'm coming. Yeah, yeah, that was you, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, you're like, don't worry, we'll come to you. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, we landed on a sandbar in the creek. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of trees between us. And I was nervous because I could see... You had some wounds to your face that you were going to get a branch to your face, too. You were just determined you were coming right through the trees. Yeah. It was just a big sensory relief for everybody when we saw that search and rescue chopper above us. We all wondered quite a bit where what was going to happen when we got to the trailhead, how much blood he was losing, uh, get him loaded up in a, in a vehicle, get him to the hospital, uh, how tough everything was going to be. When we did get to the end of the trail, he had already gone up in the bird, came back down, and uh, me and Brett had a chance to meet most of that search and rescue team along with uh, the pilots, the doctor, or nurses, EMTs, uh, the lumberjacks. They had a crew right there with their picks and axe, everything, and we were visiting with them, and, and uh, it was just one of those deals that I mean, there was a there was a solid team that was going to go in there and, and uh, save the day, and and it was just it was a pretty pretty cool deal at the end of the at the end of the day. I knew he needed to call his wife. We got his wife called, and then he's on he's sitting there on the phone trying to talk to her, and uh, Bongers is on the phone with nine one one, and and I'm I think I'm just still in panic mode and and, and wanting to get those guys down the mountain, and they just wanted to make sure everybody knew that what was going on. So hindsight, I'm glad they made the phone calls, got everybody in the right place and everything. So, Yeah, Jake looks me dead in the face and he goes, you're done, let's go. <laughs> 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 uh, he's a little brother, he doesn't get to say that kind of stuff. <laughs> so it's probably a good moment for him. Yeah, so Brent's not here, but I, literally I cannot say enough, like he's – He's an amazing friend, anyways. Outside of this situation, super smart. Yeah, super, super intelligent. Yeah, super intelligent and knew exactly what to do. You would think that situation would be too big for a lot of people, but it definitely was not too big for him. Like, you know, I'm, he, you know, he kept saying, "Are you okay? You doing all right, bud? Tell me that pin number again, or you know, tell me something specific." And I'd be like, "I'm okay. I'm just, you know, a little emotionally messed up." At that point, I really was. I, I felt I couldn't. I was kind of numb still, you know, I wasn't in pain or anything, but I was just like mostly messed up. I was like, holy smoke. So you just have all the crazy thoughts that come along with it, like what's going to happen, you know. Hopefully people don't, when they when I tell the story to people, they go up in the woods and they don't make those mistakes. And uh, that's about the only positive I can think of out of that story. But once once the helicopter got there, it's not a bad story. You know, it's actually a pretty, pretty amazing story. The biggest thing for this whole thing is just putting those people through that. Like, you know, I got some guilt about that for sure. Uh, Brent, my brother, and my wife, and my kids, and all my family, 
and and even even search and rescue people like that 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 you know they don't they don't see you every day but still that you, you guys cross our mind all the time it's like man i wonder what it was like for lizzie to land the airplane and here's some guy with half his face missing and come walking down the hill like that's not easy thing to deal with you know like i didn't have to see it i just had to you know when i woke up from the hospital it was a different deal but for that day it was no big deal but for my brother to walk upon his brother you know and, and for me to have a moment of weakness be like hey but i think i'm dying like, I, I i i wish i wouldn't have said that but i did you know and i'm sure brent was just like oh man here's my buddy and he's tore to pieces coming up in part three despite the mortal danger Moore finds unexpected moments of humor as rescuers rush him to safety. Detailing his injuries, he describes how doctors put him back together. Moore, his wife, and rescuer Lizzie Watson also talk candidly about the emotional aftermath of a grisly attack. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.